0: Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Tower cleared. we got a roll program. And as Apollo 11 does its roll program, this podcast now does its roll program. The tape is rolling. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. My name is Grant Cameron and you're listening to the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. Thank you for taking time from your life to be here.
1: Hello and welcome back, it's Grant Cameron and I'm today going to do a little bit of an update on the T.D. Barnes story that I did previously on the podcast. Some new information I heard from another interview that he had done, which ties into his knowledge about Area 51 and UFOs, if it did exist and his general knowledge about UFOs, which seemed to be uh, not very substantial. He states the fact that um, the UFO stories started at Area 51 in 1979 after the U.S. Air Force took over the, uh, the base from the CIA. And this would imply that the U.S. Air Force people were all violating their security oaths. And uh, whereas the CIA could keep secrets, the, the Air Force was leaking the fact that they had UFOs. The actual fact of the matter was that the UFO sh- story started Area 51 in 1988 or 1989. I'm not sure exactly which year, but uh, George Knapp has told the story probably a hundred times. How John Lear came to KLAS-TV in Las Vegas and was talking to... George Knapp's boss about the MJ-12 documents were released in mid-1987, and he was talking about how the fact that there was this big cover-up and that they were back-engineering UFOs at Area 51, and George Knapp's boss said, uh, if there was UFOs there, I would know about it. This is total nonsense. Get out of my office. And George Knapp was overhearing this, and that's when he stopped John Lear and said, well, what do you got? Let me take a look at it. And that's where George Knapp got sort of involved and uh, heard from John Lear that he had a friend up at the site who was working on flying saucers. And in 1989, they were missing an interview for one of the evening shows. And that's when George Knapp said, you got your buddy over there at Area 51, bring him on let's talk to UFOs. And that's when Bob Lazar appeared as Dennis on the broadcast and the story went viral story area 51 starts so it wasn't 1979 as td barnes claims it was 1989 which is basically a decade later uh, he also talked about i mentioned in the last podcast he talked about how the guards claimed that they had not um, recognized bob lazar and i pointed out the fact that bob had only been there five or six times that was confirmed in an interview that was done with timothy good with bob lazar And and you can actually see his WT-2 form, the Bob Lazar, and it only was $900. And the reason it was only $900 for 1988 was the fact that he really wasn't there very much. He really didn't make that much money. It wasn't wasn't there. Um, Now, again, we go to the whole idea that um, if the guards did recognize Bob Lazar, or if they did know that there was UFOs being done at the base, They surely wouldn't be going public and telling people because that would violate their security oath and they would end up being in jail. The same as um, T.D. Barnes runs the uh, the group of the Roadrunners International, which all the people that worked at the base on all these U 2 and SR, not U 2 and in the A 12 and the MiGs, the Russian MiGs, that these people don't talk about it as well. But as I pointed out in the last podcast, uh, the Canadians were told in 1950 already that the UFO subject was uh, for real and that it was the most highly classified subject in the United States. So if anybody were to go to a, um, a, a reunion of the uh, people that worked at Area 51 and start talking about UFOs, they would be violating the security oath because the UFO subject is still classified and uh, these people would end up in jail. So. It doesn't make any sense to say that uh, because these people don't talk about it, that means there's nothing to it. If they did know, they would keep their mouth shut the same as um, T.D. Barnes was working in the um, or mid- so mid and late uh, uh, 20, 20th century, and he stated that his wife did not know what he did for a living until I think it was 2008 or 2009. So he kept the secret from his wife, for 30 or 40 years, and it would make sense that anybody who was involved in the UFO program, or whether it was a guard, or whether it was somebody working on the program, they too would keep their mouth shut and would not be talking about it at a Roadrunners International reunion. One of the things that was very interesting, and now we're talking with uh, the crash recovery stuff, and that we want to get the, the UFO technology because it's uh, and it could be used for back engineering and the foreign technology division at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and the foreign technology back engineering program at Area 51, everybody assumes that all our technology was coming from the the, the, the UFO technology and that we were far ahead of the world, we were superior and stuff. One of the things that uh, T.D. Barnes points out, which is very interesting in all his interviews, was the fact that a lot of the stuff we got, we got from the Russians that the Russians were way ahead of the Americans in terms of uh, the MiG. And he talks about, in one interview, he talks about it's either 1,200 planes or 1,200 pilots were shot down during the Korean War, and that uh, we were basically being shot down uh, at, at great speed and, and ferocity. And the fact that that's when they... they were trying to get, they were putting out a $100,000 reward dropping leaflets over North Korea to get someone to defect with, with a, a MiG-15, which was the jet that, the, that was being used at the time to shoot down all the Americans. And um, they finally got one, and then they back-engineered, the, they took it all apart and used that to v- develop planes. He also talked about the fact that um, the, the Israelis got a defector to uh, drop a, a MiG-21 and that they got a lot of material from the MiG-21. So in the UFO community, we always believed that you know we were the superior race and we had all this technology and that we, the, the Soviets stole it all from us. The more I hear the interviews with T.D. E. Barnes, it was exactly the opposite, that we were getting a lot of stuff from the uh, Soviets. Um now there's not much discussion about the uh, presidents, which is one of the parts that I'm always interested in. Is, is what does the president know? Is he in control of all the black budget programs? But he does mention the fact that um, Richard uh, Bessell was the um, the key guy. He was a he, he identified him as a GS eighteen. He was in, in in contact with Eisenhower. He was uh, advisor to Eisenhower. He was a CIA guy, but it was advising Eisenhower, and according to T.D. Barnes, was thrown under the bus when the Bay of Pigs happened, Uh, but he was in charge of all this sort of stuff, and um, T.D. Barnes, in some of his interviews, goes through the various presidents and what they thought of the CIA, so it does appear, even though he doesn't directly talk about the president, that the president was in charge of all these uh, various programs uh, at Area 51. Um, he mentions an interesting part is that the, um, the CIA realized that um, technology was very important. And so they started a science and technology division in 1962. And I believe that's where Kate Green uh, operated at. And they realized the, the idea that you would have these flight schools in, in order to uh, test pilots rather than sending them into the war where they were getting shot down uh, one after another. They would run their first ten missions against makes they had makes at Area 51, and they would uh, do these dogfight things to teach these guys how to uh, properly operate. It wasn't really the plane that was superior; it was the training that was superior. So the CIA developed the Science and Technology uh, Division, uh, realizing that um, a, a lot of war is being able to fool the enemy and to uh, pro- properly understand how the the enemy operates. He talks about, again, I think mean, like I mentioned a bit of this in the last one, is um, this idea that's where I started trying to find this interview with George Knapp where he talks about the fact that if you were to guess he would say that a lot of the technology going on now, uh, Area 51 development is on drones, that um, uh, the idea of high speed planes uh, is kind of passe He actually said, what are you going to do with it? If you get a real high-tech or high-speed plane, there's really nothing you can do with it. And he basically pointed out the F-22 and the F-35, particularly the F-22, it's all stealth and sensors, that this is uh, where everything's going and not speed. And he actually talked about this uh, misleading uh, the Russians with this. And he said that, uh, he sort of indicated that, a lot of these rumors about these um, hypersonic planes are in order to get the Russians to spend a lot of money on uh, hypersonic planes. Because he talked about the fact that once you get to Mach 3, uh, the temperature is 2200 degrees and you basically do not have any metals that can uh, withstand that kind of heat in, in terms of uh, flying. He said everything would look like a meteorite and would turn cherry red. Once you get above that, so he had very much great doubts that the Russians had anything six times the speed of sound, and that a lot of this was maybe they're working on it, but it's um, a total waste of time because uh, wars are won, and you can see that in the Ukrainian war uh, by stealth and sensors and uh, drones. Um, The last thing I know, the second last thing I want to mention is um, he talked about people don't know, and I think I failed to uh, mention in the last uh, episode was that um, there was actually an investigation of Area 51 done by the Senate Appropriations Committee. And I've told the story a number of times. Senator Byrd on the on the Appropriations Committee, which hands out all the money for the U.S. government, uh, said to his colleagues in one meeting, he said, are, are we doing UFOs at Area 51? This is when the Bob Lazar story broke in 1989. And they basically didn't know. And he said, well, if we're working on flying saucers at Area 51, we're paying for the damn thing, and we don't know what's going on. So what he did is he sent Dick D'Amato there to Area 51, and despite what T.D. Barnes says, there's nothing to the story, Uh, Dick D'Amato talked to, everybody talked to uh, George Knapp, he talked to this uh, Alfred guy that I talked to about in the last episode, this third high-level guy at EG&G. Apparently he was on the base uh, he had these uh, very high security clearances, anything that he could uh, get that, that would bypass anything that they had sworn uh, to, for secrecy at Area 51. And he comes back and uh, he's very upset and he talks, uh, the story was told by Jesse Marcel Jr. And I've told it a number of times about how Jesse Marcel Jr. was approached by Dick D'Amato. And Dick D'Amato was a lawyer working for the Senate Appropriations Committee. And uh, Dick Bonato said to Jesse Marcel, Jr., I'd like to talk to you about uh, Roswold. And and Jesse Marcel, Jr. said, well, I've I've said all I need to say. There's really nothing I can add to my story. And then Dick Bonato said, well, maybe I'd like to tell you something. And so they went to a a conference room, a secure conference room in the sub-basement of the Capitol, Um, and it was there where Dick Bonato was sitting there, and there was a book by Whitley Strieber, called Majestic and Majestic was about uh, the whole Majestic 12 idea and the fact of the Roswell crash and he said to uh, Jesse Marcel Jr he tapped on the book with his finger and he said I just want to let you know this is real this is not fiction and Jesse said well I know that I know that already so so when are you going to tell the people and he said "Uh, I'm not here to uh, if it was up to me I would do it yesterday I'm not here to tell the people, I'm just here to figure out what the security is costing for this program. There's a deep, deep, dark section of uh, the government that is not elected, and they've got unlimited power and money. And he was very upset about the fact that this thing seemed to be off the books and operating on its own. So, despite what T.D. Barnes says about Air 51 and about UFOs, um, he should maybe go talk to Dick D'Amato, because Dick DeMato's still around, and apparently, from what I've heard, people—one person who talked to him in the last couple of years—he's still very upset about the whole, this whole situation of this off-the-off-the-record uh, project. And um, T.D. Barnes actually did describe this fact that they really had no uh, no problem with money; they could spend whatever they wanted. And uh, they never had to worry about that, and even talked about how the CIA would buy off people. One particular, uh, I think it was an A-12 crashed, and uh, the pilot was recovered by um, two two ranchers. And um, so they said, well, we'll take you back to the plane. And the pilot had said, no, there's an atomic bomb on the plane. Uh, You can't go back there. And so the CIA came in, and according to T.D. Barnes, uh, each rancher got twenty five thousand dollars, and they were told to keep their mouths shut. So, this off their records, um, you know, spending of money and black budget programs basically was confirmed by T D Barnes. Now, one last thing I want to mention is um, in, in terms of doing this, I was going. I was using AI to clarify um, some of the, the stuff I had uh, stated. I would put it into a uh, a dictate. Uh, program in Word and then get them to get AI to just clear it up and, and edit it. And what I found is a, a one major um, backdrop to AI that people in um, UFO community should uh, be aware of is that um, it uses a, a lot of material and it adds material. For example, I talked about uh, Roswell and the AI started to talk about the mogul balloon. Well, I never mentioned the mogul balloon, and where they get that is they're pulling a lot of stuff off of Wikipedia. And people in the UFO community, a lot of people know that Wikipedia is run by skeptics, that they are able to control uh, the bios on, on various people. And they're always talking about pseudoscience and they're using these keywords. And if you try to change it, you try to edit it, they'll ban you from editing, and they basically control Wikipedia. So. My warning for people who are using AI is that it's going to be a lot of skeptical stuff uh, that will be added to your um, your prompt unless you um, basically spell out that you don't want this kind of stuff. I still haven't figured what kind of prompt I'm going to use, but uh, I did find this, that it was adding stuff that I hadn't said, and it was taking out stuff that I had, had put in there. So at, the, at this point, uh, I'm going to put these into articles. Uh, basically, all I doing is changing this the spelling and um, the grammar and stuff like that and leaving the rest because yeah, i was kind of shocked at some of the stuff they put in there especially the mogul balloon that's the skeptics view of roswell so uh, it had added that in there and i didn't say any such thing thanks for listening
0: that's this week's episode of the paranormal ufo consciousness podcast i'm your host grant cameron hoping that you will join me for upcoming episodes Links to my YouTube interviews, books, and my Facebook sites are in the show notes. If you love the podcast or learn something valuable, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on today's episode. If you would like a certain paranormal subject dealt with in the future, please let us know. Until next time, watch this space, and thank you so much for listening.